You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Rap Trap. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. If you're a regular listener of Give Me the Bible, you would most likely be aware that in the past I have spoken about false doctrine from time to time. Today I want to comment on one doctrine or belief that is popular in many church groups. And later I want to share with you what the Bible actually says about it. Some doctrines or beliefs are based on only one verse or part of a verse or perhaps even a couple of verses in the Bible. When this happens or when the verse is not understood in context, it is very easy to draw wrong conclusions, resulting in a belief that is error. The Bible is its own interpreter, but it is important to gather as much information as possible, compare and contrast the information before coming to any conclusions. There is probably no better way to illustrate what I have just said than the message in the poem written by John Godfrey Sachs. It is called The Blind Men and the Elephant. And here we go. It was six men of Indostan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each, by observation, might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant, and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side, at once began to bawl, God bless me! But the elephant is nothing but a wall. The second feeling of the tusk cried, Ho! What have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp, to me tis mighty clear. This wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal, and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, I see, quoth he, The elephant is very like a snake. The fourth reached out his eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like is mighty plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough, the elephant is very like a tree. The fifth, who chanced to touch the ear, said, Even the blindest man can tell what this resembles most, deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each in his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong. 
though each was partly in the right, and all were in the wrong. So oft in theologic wars the disputants, I ween, tread on in utter ignorance of what each other mean, and prate about the elephant not one of them has seen. In order to come to a proper understanding of the Scriptures, the Bible tells how it must be done. The answer is found in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. And this is what it says, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk, and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, and there a little. To hit on one verse, and attempt to build a case on that alone, is immature and very unscholarly. The Bible is a deep book, with majestic themes, so one must study it in order to come to proper conclusions. The belief about a secret rapture has been described by some as the rap-trap, or others describe it as the crapture. Now where did this belief come from? Well, the belief about a secret rapture finds its source in Matthew chapter 24, which is Jesus' answer to a question about his return after he ascended back to heaven. Here, Jesus was explaining that his return will find many people unprepared. Verse 30 explains why. It says, but of that day and hour no man knows, no, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. However, that one simple illustration has been expanded and dramatised out of proportion and given a meaning that was never intended. A 19th century British preacher John Nelson Darby was the one who developed the rapture teaching and began to promote it in the 1830s. He was the founder of the Plymouth Brethren Church and developed a scheme of scriptural interpretation called dispensationalism. The idea of the dispensationalists is that God has different rules for different groups at different times. For example, they say he had the law for the Jews, and now it is grace for the church. Darby's teachings were refined and popularised by C.I. Schofield, an American lawyer and minister, who authored the noted Schofield Reference Bible at the beginning of the 20th century. Primarily through Dr. Schofield, Protestant evangelicals came to generally accept the teachings 
of both dispensationalism and the secret rapture. These two ideas go hand in hand to blind many sincere people to God's real message to Christians in the end times, as I explained a little earlier. Later, in the second half of the 20th century, Tim LaHaye and Hal Lindsay produced books intended as fiction called the Left Behind series. These books were later turned into movies and were based on what would supposedly happen if individuals were silently and secretly raptured, that is, whisked away by God, and, of course, the ensuing consequences. The books and films appeared to be an authentic depiction of what could happen, and it wasn't very long before people began to believe what they were reading and seeing and thinking it was factual. Ministers, especially in some of the evangelical and Pentecostal churches, took up this theme, teaching secret rapture as actual doctrine. Nowadays, that doctrine, although not supported by the rest of the Bible, is widely believed, although it has a number of variations. Yes, I believe in the rapture when Jesus comes down from heaven to collect his faithful people, but I cannot and do not believe in a secret rapture. So then, what is wrong with the secret rapture theory? Firstly, it is based upon the idea that before Christ's physical return he will come invisibly where people will be silently whisked away up to heaven. The secret rapture theory assumes this means that Christ will come secretly to steal away the righteous and carry them quietly to heaven. A wrong interpretation has been put on the expression as a thief in the night. In describing his return as a thief, Christ did not intend to show that it would be quiet, but that it would be sudden and unexpected, that the wicked would be taken by surprise. He said, If the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. And that's from Luke chapter 12, verses 39 and 40. And likewise, Paul told the Christians in Thessalonica, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. And that's from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 4. God does not want his followers to be surprised. He wants us to be watchful 
and ready. Now, the second thing that's wrong with the rapture theory is that it's not of God. It is a deception and is a product of false teachings inspired by that arch-deceiver, Satan. The third thing is that included as part of the secret rapture teaching are other false teachings relating to the 70-week prophecy as recorded in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through to 27. In what is commonly known as the futurist interpretation, the teaching assumes that the last of the seven years of the prophecy, known as the 70th week, has been snipped off of the other consecutive 69 weeks and placed at somewhere at an unknown future time period. Instead of understanding that the Anointed One, that's Jesus, being cut off, losing his life, dying on the cross, in the middle of the seven-year time period in AD 34, the secret rapture theorists say the weak is cut off from the rest. This then allows for the secret rapture interpretation. They say that at the beginning of the specific seven years, there is, first, the secret rapture. Then they say that the temple in Jerusalem will be rebuilt with the aid of some rich and powerful individual who, after three and a half years, turns against the Jews and so becomes the Antichrist. The following three and a half years is seen as a time of tribulation and persecution followed by the physical return of Christ, who, suppose, who supposedly brings with him the saved souls who were with him, with him in heaven. Christ then is supposed to set up his kingdom on earth. This all reminds me of the tall stories made up about Baron Munchausen, whose exploits were nothing short of incredulous. We're going to stop here and have a short break and go on straight afterwards. Soft as the voice of an angel Breathing a lesson unheard The gentle persuasion Whispers her comforting word Wait till the darkness is over Wait till the tempest is done Sunshine tomorrow after the shower is gone. Whispering home, oh, how well 
in the dusk of the twilight Dim be the region afar Will not the deepening darkness Brighten the glimmering star Another common misconception contained in the secret rapture theory is that people will continue to live here on earth straight after Christ's return. However, the Bible clearly teaches that when Jesus comes the second time, there will be no one left alive on this planet. For example, in his prophecy about the end of the age, Jeremiah wrote, I beheld the earth. And lo, it was without form and void, and the heavens, they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and lo, they trembled, and all the hills moved lightly. I beheld, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of the heavens were fled. I beheld, and lo, the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities thereof were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. That's from Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 23 to 26. And Jeremiah also declared, And the slain of the Lord shall be at that day from one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. They shall not be lamented, neither gathered, nor buried. They shall be dung upon the ground. That's from Jeremiah 25, verse 33. And the prophet Isaiah describes the same dismal conditions in his prophecy of the state of earth following the second coming. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty, and maketh it waste, and turneth it upside down, and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. The land shall be utterly emptied, and utterly spoiled, for the Lord hath spoken this word. And that's from Isaiah chapter 24, 1 and 3. And last but not least, consider the following passage of Scripture. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage 
until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. And that's from Luke 17, verses 26 to 30. You'll notice that the wicked were destroyed on the same day that the flood came to Noah. The wicked inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed on that same day that the fire came down from heaven. Jesus emphasized at both the beginning and the end of the passage I just read that these earlier judgments which destroyed all of the wicked were examples of what would happen at his second coming. The Bible is crystal clear that life on earth does not continue for either man or beast straight after Jesus returns. So what will Christ's second coming be like? Well, his coming will be literal and it will be physical. Just after Jesus rose up into heaven, two angels appeared to the heartbroken disciples. We read what happened then in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, where it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. What does the expression like manner mean here? Well, it means that Jesus will come in person, physically and visibly. Now, Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 adds more information about Jesus' coming. It says, Behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. There's no secret there. And Matthew chapter 24 verses 30 and 31 adds more information. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the earth to the other. There's no secret there either. What are those clouds mentioned? It is reasonable to accept that they are hosts of angels as is explained in Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. 
Now, I've just quoted three important texts about the second coming of Jesus. Two of those statements were spoken by Jesus himself, and there is no mention of a secret rapture. The Apostle Paul explained further on the subject of Christ's second coming in 1 Thessalonians, verse 13, where he says, Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, that is, those who've died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so... We will be with the Lord forever. And there's no secret there either. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 54, the Apostle Paul adds even more information. Listen, he says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep that's die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Secret? No way. Another false doctrine is exposed in these last verses I read to you. It is commonly believed that when someone righteous dies, they go straight to heaven. If that were true, it would mean they already have immortality. But, as I read to you from 1 Corinthians... Immortality is given to the saints at Christ's return. So how can that happen if they already have it? The doctrine of the dead going straight to heaven before Christ's return is totally false. It is a doctrine originating with the devil. Don't believe it. The doctrine of the secret rapture is the same. It is false and is not supported by what the Bible says. My friends, unless we check what the Bible actually says, we can be easily misled. I'm glad you tune into these Give Me the Bible programs where you can hear the truth. So, until next time, I wish you peace and God's blessings and a desire to really know what the Bible says. <laughs>